talk about Jamie, we gotta talk about Aria today. And we have a lot of owns from readers, if I am not mistaken. You sent a giant file over. We, we thank all of you for joining us this week. It's November. Speaking of somebody who needs drugs at the end of this chapter, <laughs> yeah. Jamie is in Ooh. desperate need of them. Yeah, yeah drugs more like antiseptic, man. And some pizza. This was and the one, this is like probably the first chapter that I ever, I'm just t- taking this away from Eric, I'm sorry. But then, like, this well, is the Micah first, did it first. This so. is the first chapter of this entire series that I can honestly remember. Um, like the White Walker stuff kind of cr- was crazy, but you were, you've been expecting it for so long. And this just like, no expectation that this was going to happen to Jamie whatsoever. And this is like, this is such a, a major, crazy George R. R. Morton moment. It's kind of the first big one after Ned gets his head chopped off. It's just like, holy shit. It's open-ended as well. It is. Yeah, yeah. you know exactly. holy shit like, went down. That's the important thing yeah. because the chapter ends as the sword comes down. But right. I looked like... The next Jamie chapter is ten chapters from now. Yeah. It's like over hundred it's over hundred pages away. Yeah, no like, kidding. This is one of those moments where you're like, what? And you like flip to the next one, yeah. you just like find the next Jamie chapter. You have to I was to just know. gonna mention that. Yes. I have like I realized um when I was a kid that I have a terrible like suspense, like I can't handle it, so I flip ahead when I have a book. But uh yeah, anyway, the uh the Jamie chapter is like over a hundred pages from now, and you just it doesn't say what happened, just that he screamed, and so you have this idea that Jamie's still going to live, but you have no idea what just happened. In the show, they can't have that. It's just like you see what happens. But it, it's still like it's it's open-ended and you see somebody who you never – you just never expect them to do this to somebody who is a member of one of the most powerful families. I didn't see this coming uh, in this chapter at all, certainly, because I realized that we're not too far into A Storm of Swords, not egregiously far into it. Right. You guys were saying it was kind of unexpected that it happened. I feel like yeah. that that's pretty much the story for this entire chapter. I did not expect the, the archers. I did not expect what happened to Sir Cleos, rest in peace. Um, oh. I did not expect the fight that took place to take place in this chapter and in this way. And of oh, course, everything there else. There were several fights. Yeah, right? yeah. It was just, it was, uh, it, it was good. It was action packed. This is the chapter where the, the, the Jamie and Brienne fight finally happens. And by fight, I mean fights, uh, plural. They, they continue to go at it. You know how in the show, the Brienne and like hound fight like lasts forever and you just want it to end and it's like brutal because there's like no music and they're just punching each other in the face and bleeding and missing body parts. That's like how it worked in this book, in this chapter, I felt between. Mm-hmm. Brienne and Jamie, like they're tripping over rocks, they're spraining their ankles, they're getting their faces kicked in, and then getting up and still jabbing at each other with um, their weapons. And it's it's really brutal, but like it's really well written to the point where you're just like, wow, they like he really wants to be free of her. She really is torn because she can't quite kill him. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's just their motivations, the characters, like what's going on inside their heads. You can only imagine what's going on inside Brienne's, but what's going on in Jamie's head is, is just pure popcorn. It's pure gold. I feel like it really began with just telling us once more, the war is big. The war is dismal and so many places that were not even fruitful before, but just normal and uh, <laughs> alive are not any longer. Maidenpool, mm-hmm. which uh, we learned in this chapter, <sighs> where it said that Florian the Fool had first glimpsed Jonquil bathing with her sisters, uh, I, I'm guessing was kind of a beautiful sight uh, during someone's journey across Westeros. And it is literally plugged up by rotting corpses. <laughs> Enough 
human corpses to make a body of water in the natural world a different color and a different consistency. And that's what's happening right now. And that's what they're writing by. Gross. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get. I was just gonna say it's a missed opportunity. I can't recall Jamie using one of the corpses as like a shield. It's like people Kool Aid. It's like people tea. Oh, mm. they, uh, no, you're right. Like they just happen on this. I mean, when you get to this area, I imagine it in my mind's eye as being like this, just this middle of the country. Like they're on their way to King's Landing or wherever, but just like wetlands and plains, and it's the same place that Arya basically is. And you have to take care of because if you make a noise or if you stumble on a building that looks abandoned, but it's not abandoned, you're immediately faced with trouble from all sides. That's sort of the unique thing about these two chapters is that they they do parallel each other in a way in that both of them are on the road trying to get home to the people that they care about the most. And yet they're both going through these lands that are completely devastated by the war. And in these other chapters, a lot of times we're, we're spending time with characters who are safe, right? If, if we look at those that we spend time with in King's Landing, maybe danger is, you know, presents itself to them in different manners. But when you're reading through a point of view chapter from Jamie or from Arya, they're actually seeing the results of what's taking place. They're actually seeing how the common folk are dealing with the battles that we've just heard about, um, you know, in other chapters. Yeah, they're not holed up in some keep somewhere. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Tyrion is, uh, Catelyn is, you know, I guess Sam is in the road, is on the road, Arya is on the road, and um, Jamie and Brienne are on the road. We get some really solid backstory again just sort of inner monologue of jamie when he makes the uh i want to say foreshadowing joke even though that's not a real phrase but he's like care for a bath brienne and it's like <laughs> uh, I, I know about i was baths. kind of expecting it to be this chapter yeah where they kind of in the bath but i realize it's it's spread out a little bit but i mean considering we got both the fight and the cutting off of jamie's arm like in this chapter i i'm surprised that they happen so close to each other but i think it's to set the tone of like who are these guys that jamie's with and who are they really truly serving it's clearly setting things up for the rest of the book i liked two particular things that go through jamie's head during this chapter one is when he's like the way that the fight turns when he first starts fighting brienne and he's like, ugh, she's so ugly. And man, <laughs> I have my, she might have a little bit of an advantage since I have my hands tied together and I have to use this super light sword as a great sword, but whatever. She's a woman. So, and then like as it goes on, every paragraph is a little bit less confident until the mm-hmm. end. He's like, she's not getting tired. She's, she's stronger, stronger than, than I am. <laughs> Damn it. Oh my God. Only the mountain and like three other people in the realm are stronger than me. What is wrong with this? Yeah. Woman? Which I love. Okay. I love that whole evolution like that. And you see it in real time, his confidence like chipping away until he's like, mm-hmm. uh oh. Um, Great trouble. John Umbers, yeah, two Cleganes, maybe, but then like also a woman, like what the? And then but my other favorite thing about uh, Jamie's mind in this chapter is when he talks about the fact that if he were to encounter Arya and Sansa, he would totally take them back to Riverrun because he thinks it would be funny. <laughs> like he's like the idea of me keeping my word is way more amusing <laughs> than the idea of doing what everybody expects me to do, yeah. which is to totally break my word. Whatever I think blows it'd be your hilarious. Up, yeah, it's like I think it would just. It tickle me to take those girls back like i love that it's just like pure jamie arrogance and and backstory there too i mean when he's recalling specifically those moments when he was with cersei and he got caught by his mom his mom was uh you know informed on what he had been doing she was pretty horrified by it and then 
you know, he just mentions not more than a few sentences later at, that not too long after his mother finding out about what happened between Cersei and Jaime, that Tyrion came along and, and ended up killing her. So right. uh, there, there is a lot, Zach, to your point about this inner monologue. Mm-hmm. And even before that, he has a moment where you know he's looking around, seeing everything that's going on or that has taken place around him. And, and uh, he notes that all these burned lands remind him too much of Eris. Mm-hmm. So Jamie, he pivots, right, as we move forward in the story. But yet these moments, you start to think that there's something about him that, that could potentially be redeemable if, you know, he's looking around, he's seeing all the devastation and destruction, and yet he compares it to a king who he had no remorse for whatsoever and was easily able to murder because of what he did uh, or what he had the potential to do. And so, Kate, you brought up the fact that he jokes about returning Sansa because, hey, that's not what anybody would expect me to have done. But at the same time, he still has moments of, of being a douchebag. And so that's why you can't completely side with him at this point. It's a process. It, it, is, it is a, a process. process. He um He's basically talking in his inner monologue about how ugly Brienne is. Like, she loses two teeth or something. And he's like, yeah, it does not improve how she looks. But she's still kicking my ass. And it's like... It's really sad. Like he comes up with ways to kind of, he's still trying to the very bitter end to like outward her and say what's on, what, you know, he thinks is on her mind, like all that stuff about keeping her oath. But in the meantime, he's also missing his sister. And he, you know, there's a bit about that. And you're shown just how he acts and how he thinks at the same time. And the two items are in contrast with each other, kind of. But they're also kind of the same because he's just, hey, he's just a complex character, right? Who killed the king, but it was the right thing to do. And seeing him trying to escape from captivity on which he was probably rightfully imprisoned is just another step along that same journey of us coming to like Jamie. And I think by the end of this, you know, once he has his injury, he's only going to become more grounded and more endearing to the reader. Yeah, no question. And at this point, you have like two or 3,000 pages that separate you from the act where he pushed Bran out the window. So, I mean, same with the TV show, right? It airs hours or sorry, years apart. Um, it's, it's tough to sometimes remember that he has done some really bad things. And because we don't get a Brienne chapter, you know, we don't see her point of view yet. I don't know if we ever do. You kind of can't help but cheer for him because he's, he's, he's dealing with this situation so humorously. But he, he pushed Brienne out the window, you know, a couple books back. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Well, he's definitely being humbled. And certainly in this chapter, you know, they're riding past the wall and, and uh, we're, we're dealing with him thinking about Cersei. We're dealing with him insulting Brienne and the whole winch debacle is still going and he's having a good laugh with it. But no one expected uh, Bowman to rise and begin shooting at them. There were arrows flying. Jamie was able to duck and sort of get out of the way because he's good at stuff. You know, like he's been in, he's been in actual battle before. This is, this is sort of second nature to him. And we learn in the chapter that this is really his preferred state of being this, you know, gray area, basically 50, 50 between life and death, maybe more of 60, 40 in his favor, even when he's chained up. 
But uh, Brienne is hit with an arrow in the back. She's hit with an arrow in the leg. And in that moment, Jamie, uh, when he sees her, he notices, and George, you know, permitted it to be written in the book. So it's important that she didn't even flinch necessarily and didn't even mm-hmm. notice it. Like she starts charging and yelling, Tarth, really, really getting into it. She does power squats. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> she does kettlebells every morning. It's part of her ritual. Yeah, exactly. And uh, she, she's vastly prepared for this. But uh, Jamie makes the decision instead of, you know, trying to ride away from these people, even after he sees his cousin uh, get hit with arrows and then fall off of his horse and begun. His foot is still in the stirrup and he's getting dragged. And, and luckily his head is breaking his fall. Luckily. But Jamie charges <laughs> toward the arrowmen and they, I guess, don't realize that he's chained up without a weapon and they bolt because they're scared cravens. Yeah, that was that's awesome. And then after that, they, they're able to to actually find Sir Cleos Frey, who is indeed the way that, that George puts it is that his head was sort of mashed in and you can like see yeah. the bones yeah. and the skull were moving around. He was dead. How you fall has everything to do with whether or not you get back up again. Like, yeah, he was shot with an arrow in the chest that may have like punctured along. No, him no. A little I was longer. under the impression that the horse was dragging him and his, he kept hitting his head on the ground. Yeah, he was fine. I think like his horse got spooked or something and, and was, yeah, he, he, his horse was fucking him up. But like you have to, I guess you have to be a little bit more deft with your, your horse, right? You have to jump off cleanly or stay on. if you're hit with arrows, stay, or like stay on, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Like, un- I think it was probably a, a skill that Cleos lacked to be able to, like, he, it's, it's, I'm not saying, well, I mean, I, I'm sure the arrows had their impact as well <laughs> yeah. and, and did some damage to him. But I, I think ultimately the state that he's in when they find him is because his horse dragged him along and, yeah. Yeah. His remains are a result of that. So yeah. I like the the moment when Jamie was charging, you know, to your point, Zach, it it showed a lot about his his abilities as an actual person of war, right? To know that he was able to charge because bowmen generally or archers generally I mean, he basically called them pussies. He's like, if you if you charge at them, they're gonna run like little bitches because. Well, they have a ranged weapon, which they don't is have no, to fight with. They have a ranged weapon, which is the no New York good. Comes out of my gut. in a melee fight. It makes right. No, you're sense. right. Eric. It makes sense. Absolutely. Like Jamie is using his real world world knowledge to have a tactical to come up with a tactical strategy. He's in chains and and you know he's not able to perform fully as he would be normally, but he's still divided. Well, Brienne sure is hell able uh, to succeeds that basically mm-hmm. drives off the people. Like if they hadn't hung around and you know made such a clatter, uh, <laughs> which is I read it like that, like in, Santa Claus reading. Yeah, if they if they, hadn't, the if they hadn't arose Jimmy. such a clatter, uh, mm-hmm. they would have you know been saved by Jamie's daring um, charge. So that that's just something to keep in of mind course. that Jamie is very tactically sound. He's very on. This presents the opportunity. These archers really, uh, because of what ends up happening to Cleos Frey, right? You know, th- this is the moment that Jamie's been waiting for. And he tries to, to his credit, he really does try to get Brienne to, to take, you know, the, the rope off his hands and, and to let him fight beside her, you know, should anything else come up in the future. And she just doesn't have anything of it. And she brings up yet again that Jamie's words are, are worth nothing because he swore an oath uh, to to Eris and, and he broke it. And I think Jamie just gets pissed off that everything keeps coming back to Eris. Yeah. And so he's able to take 
the sword from the hilt uh, of Cleos, and they start the uh, the battle that that woke um, most of the area that they were uh, fighting in. You know, the cool thing is though, the second that Brienne and him are on equal footing um, as being both captives. Uh, he spends every one of his words trying to get her, I guess, sentence reduced. You know, he tries to get her off easy. He tries to even explain to her what he's doing, but he's, you know, tells the men that she has value and that they would do best not to rape her as they're clearly going to do. Like he spends every minute, not after like he, he's just like, I'm a Lannister. They know who he is. So he's just like, he feels safe, but he's still taking the time to, uh, save Brienne, basically save her dignity, which he is now kind of, he's come around in this chapter. I think realizing that she was stronger than him was clearly part of it, but he's come around and is now defending her honor. And I think that if he wasn't completely able to be truthful about, you know, going quietly to King's Landing or whatever it was with Brienne before, if they ever break free again, I think they're, they're pretty much going to be able to trust one another because he's essentially spending all his energy to to save her life now. This situation sucks. I feel like it could have been avoided if they they, they should have realized the the threat of the the archers uh, riding off. It's just a bad idea. You know, she got onto him earlier in the chapter for singing. So I think getting shot at and and the yelling and the battle cries and the picking over of Cleos's body, like from from that moment they should have dropped the bullshit and they should have been like, "All right, let's hide or let's get the hell out of here just in case." But they didn't, and they fought. And at the end of their fight, you know, they're greeted by an entire group of men surrounding them in the tree line, like just well, laughing. Men, I mean, they're basically the scum of the, the earth. worst people there are. <laughs> Even Dothraki are here. The fattest Dothraki. The people yeah, the that we do not like, the brave companions, <laughs> aka mm-hmm. the bloody mummers, mm-hmm. uh, essentially step forward out of the brush. And we've got our favorite people, Rorge. Rouge and Biter and Urswick. My, my name is Rouge. Out of the cave. And, and they immediately, uh, this is this sucks. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like one of those situations where you're hanging out with your friends and you're teasing your little brother. And then your friends start teasing your little brother and you're like, hey. No, you don't get you don't get to tease my little brother. You don't have the right. Yeah, yeah. I earned this exactly. right. You don't get to do that. Except, you know, instead of teasing your little brother there, threatening. That's a great analogy. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> Jamie starts to, uh, he starts to get nervous here, though, because he realizes that he doesn't have the bargaining power that he once had. Because, you know, he, he has a conversation with uh, Urswick, mm-hmm. and he tries to the best of his ability to negotiate, to, to put himself in a better position. He even play, plays the Reigns of Castamere card, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> That's a good card that goes nowhere. And it, it still, at the end of the day, comes back to the same thing that Brienne threw in his face earlier on in the chapter, which is that he's an oathbreaker. And, it, you know, this, this one moment in his life where we find out later he actually did something that was honorable and saved a lot of people's lives. This one misunderstood moment continuously comes back to bite him in the ass. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, he says it, it always comes back to Eris. And that's why they don't trust him. And so now he's taken before Vargo Hote, who's this slobbering, disgusting human being who is now in charge or, or in part charge of Harren Hall. Lord and, Hote. You know, one of the more disturbing things I think about this chapter is, you know, we've always known sort of the Northmen and the Starks to be these honorable people. And yet here you have this 
group of bloody mummers who have who have sworn allegiance to to Roose Bolton. Yeah. And that doesn't bode well at least from a you wouldn't want to have these people fighting on your behalf, I don't think. I still feel right. a little bit safe though. I feel like the the foreshadowing to them being horrible people that are possibly oath breakers and siding with the Lannisters isn't there quite yet because these guys don't even listen to Brienne's commands when she's basically quoting the mother of their king in the north that they're serving. The the they're ignoring her as well. So it's not like they're just so adamant to be honorable and follow their charge and take care of Jamie. It's not like they're saying no to his offers just because they're so into the people that they serve now. They're just horrible people. So I feel like if this would have been even a group of Boltons, we would have had more of a problem with the Northmen being terrible. But since it is the Brave Companions, and since we've already learned so much through uh, Arya's point of view, that they're just really horrible, shitty people and will do anything no matter what, and that they, they rape and pillage the countryside anyway, I feel like it's a little less of a blow to to the North than it could have been. I, I just want to say that uh, what Mike was talking about, too, about um, that one moment where Jamie broke his oath as being forever like dooming him, I just hope that the same... Uh, proper mistrust is paid upon Walder Frey after he infringes upon the the rule of hospitality, right? The unspoken rule of hospitality. Yeah, we know that's going to happen later in this book, but I just want to see Frey crumble for the same reasons that Jamie is like, he, he's held accountable, not just with a bad name, but where he can't even get a word in edgewise because of something that he did. And I just want to see that same thing paid to, to Lord Walder Frey. Well, speaking says. of, of Walder Frey, um, when they find Cleos later on and the, these brave companions go to basically disrobe him and take him of everything that, that he has remaining on his body, um, Jamie points out the fact that the arrows that had been shot at him went both through lion and towers alike. Yeah. So I, I'm just wondering if that is alluding to anything down the line. Be nice. <laughs> and so this chapter wraps up uh with Jamie and, and Vargo Hoat and you know a bit different from the show because we know that uh they invented this character called Locke, right? Yep. Yes. yes. Yeah, who's gonna end up being Bolton's number one man, right? He basically takes on the role of, of Vargo. Um but Vargo is much more sinister in my opinion. He's he's as I mentioned earlier, sort of this slobbering, disgusting Have the golden excuse rock. for a human being. <laughs> he, has a he does. <laughs> uh, but more so I think he just slobbers. And so uh you know he's a bit like a feral dog. And uh Jamie tries again to negotiate a bit here with Vargo. Uh but Vargo is is having none of it. And he specifically says that he wants to um Give Tywin Lannister uh, a, a bit of a uh, a message. A message, yeah. yeah. Message. Here's the uh, uh, Jamie says he will pay well for me. You know it, meaning his father. And Vargas, oh yes, <laughs> half the gold in Catholic Rock I shall have, but first I must send him a message. Sunlight ran silver along the edge of the Arak as it came shivering down, almost too fast to see, and Jamie screamed. What a way to leave us. Thanks. I love I love that what happens just before that where it says he was a Lannister of Casterly Rock, Lord Commander of Kingsguard. No cell sword would make him scream, but then he screams. That's, That's he what makes some it crazy terrifying. shit goes down. Yep. Yeah. He's like determined specifically not to scream, and then he screams because I think it's a natural response. I think it's pretty fair to scream to scream to have that reaction to getting your unknown object 
cut off. <laughs> I can't believe George made people wait 10 chapters. <laughs> That's that, that man's sadistic. Like he's just, it's, it's the worst. We get to, to visit the place where they, I believe where they just were, because we, we, we got to see a little bit of the, the, the large Dothraki man, like on top of the statue picking the eyes or picking the eyes clean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, apparently exactly. they took the breasts as well, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, why not? And, and in Arya's chapter, which we're moving to now, um, it's, it's just, this is, I felt like it was very unique and really allowed the travel and, and the passage of time to kind of flow freely. And I really enjoyed it because we got to see so much in one chapter versus there being lots of conversation in one place and then, you know, looking forward to the next thing. This was, it, it wasn't the same as Lem and Anne Guy and Tom talking to her and then um, going to the inn and having their thing there. Like they went to a, a lot of places, uh, one of them being where the Brave Companions had uh, slaughtered people and made shit happen. So it, it was cool the way it flowed. And the whole time we just have this overarching concern of how do we find the, I don't know, just almost monolithic Lord Beric Dondarrion and Thoros of Mir. I feel like they're, they're so much cooler in the books so far rather than just kind of just being around uh, as they are in the show like they're they're really really built up and we still at the end of this chapter have not met them yet yeah they really have a good um off-screen persona or off off you know where you off don't page. see them but you learn a lot about them off stage yeah persona off I mean, Beric alone, just the amount of times that he's been killed by the amount of people, or all the accounts of Beric's death, but then Lem, who knows he's alive, is just like, no, you know, they hanged him, but it wasn't like he was totally still alive after that. Like, they didn't hang him all the way. And then, yeah, he was shot in the eye with an arrow, but, you know, that that's <laughs> just his eye. Yeah. Like, people survive that all the time. It's like, we know what's really happening as a result of that really cool scene. Yeah. Uh Was it Kissed by Fire was the episode? Um, where, where they finally, uh, meet him in the show. But, uh, it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's really cool to, to not know what's going on and then to still see like Arya sees, um, them talking with that woman as well. And it's just mm -hmm. all very ominous. Who may have been when mentioned not more than a few chapters previously. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, but, but before we get there, I liked what you were saying, Zach, about the, the, sort of the the flowing nature of this chapter because you also get a lot of backstory um you know there's there's the uh back and forth right between tom and lamb and and guy they're talking about brendan tully and the song that uh <laughs> was created about him <laughs> basically about how he couldn't oh get it up the floppy yeah. fish was it called the floppy fish or was that just a major no they theme? called it the floppy tom's fish. like i okay. only sang it once all right <laughs> And he's like, oh, a man who doesn't like music can't be trusted. <laughs> like he, he didn't have a problem with music. He just didn't like you for singing about his floppy uh, wiener. <laughs> okay, I, I thought we were talking about Trout this whole time. No way. It's just a nice change to go from the Bloody Mummers to this group of uh, happy companions. Yeah, they're they're just they're fun. They're they're a little no bit. banners, no manners. <laughs> <laughs> But they're not oh, as rude great. as the the other guys. I wanted to say I'm a big fan of hearing everything that there is to hear about <laughs> about the goddamn children of the yes, forest. Yes, the goddamn children <laughs> there of the it forest. Is. Yes, finally, you knew it. Okay, so this place where they spend the night, this place called High Heart, where there's all these stumps, which is just sad. 
And it's it's apparently this place that was sacred to the children of the forest. And there's like this magic there. And Arya feels like this little prickling in the back of her neck when she goes there, even though it's like daytime. I really want to know more about it. It's just such a cool place for them to show up, right? I mean, you, you're going through these burned inns through all these other, you know, woods, but they get to this place that has historical significance, but it's just a bunch of trees that's no longer there. And the magic is kind of still there, rumored right. to still be there. I felt it. The hair of the back of my neck stood up. I felt it, yeah. yeah. I felt so. it. And then in came a tiny little woman, a foot shorter than Arya and older than old Nan. With hair all the way down to her feet. All stooped and wrinkled and leaning on a gnarled black cane. Her white hair was so long it came almost to the ground. So, yeah. And I think I said Catelyn earlier. I think she's actually mentioned in the uh, Tyrion chapter, right? When towards the end when they're talking about the Westerling lineage. Oh, maybe. I, I'm still, I'm thinking, like, I'm not connecting it to the Magi. Like, I'm thinking, like, is this a remnant of the children of the fort? Like, is this, like, somebody who's, like, mm-hmm. I, I imagine it like a Lorax, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, I speak for the trees that <laughs> yeah, are no longer here. Makes sense. That's interesting, though, because when you classify them as being children of the forest, but are they, in fact, really children? I think it's stated that, like, in, was it Clash of Kings, that the children of the forest kind of, like, looked like children to, like, the first mm-hmm. men. Because they were like impish or like, I always imagine pygmies from like the mummy returns. That's, that's what I always imagine. <laughs> like little jiggly puffs. The oh, second movie. No, nice. they're not like jiggly puffs the thing at all. puts you to sleep. They could be. They, we I see one of the children in the show. Like we the do. Kokiri, right? Well, Zach, sort of like the Kokiri, yes. Them. Yeah. yeah I just imagine Waiting them like pig- where they're like, they are, I don't want to say impish. They kind of look monkeyish, but they're not necessarily actually kids. Clearly, like if they live for thousands of years, they're not. Kids, unless they have like eternal youth. But yeah, so like, like I imagine that this woman who's like not, it's not said that she's like a dwarf, but she is like a smaller old person. So it's like, like she's shorter than Arya. Well, old people tend to be diminutive. Shorter. Yeah, I get it. But still, like, you just, it makes you question whether or not there's something supernatural going on with this woman. And that's not just because of her red eyes. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of feel bad because I just thought maybe she's been alive long enough to just know more than everyone else and that she could just kind of be a normal person that is learned in things and like Anne Guy and like the guys are saying. And, and also, let me just say, anyone who's listening, read this chapter because it is it's so hard for us to, to visit all of the dialogue and all of the dialogue is brilliant. The, the wordplay between these people are some of the more just, I said happy before, but some of the more happy exchanges in the face of, of what's going on. Like they're, they're so, mm-hmm. they're so free of anxiety compared to the people that we read through a lot of the times. I mean, like coming off of the chapters that we had last week, especially. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a really nice, uh, breath of fresh air in a lot of ways. But yeah, they're on top of High Heart and we know that they're defended. We, we realize that it's a place where it's kind of like a uh, weather top. Like if people sleep here, uh, you can definitely see people coming uh, from the mm-hmm. distance because you know where you are. So when when Arya is asleep at night and the storm wakes her and blows the, the coverlet off of her and she kind of has to chase it into the bushes, it says that she hears voices. And for a second I was like, oh no, it is haunted. But the voices she heard was this sort of like campfire ceremony with this old mysterious lady that would tell them things and did tell them things in exchange for... I guess services or, or in this case song and her, her dream that she recollected 
man, that was some. Uh, I don't want to say House shit, of the Un- yeah, powerful shit. It's like kind of like House <laughs> of the Undying, sort of like. Yeah. I don't know. It just it really it really strummed a chord. It's that level of relevance, though. It's totally like House of the Undying level of relevance. You you know from just what you can infer from what mm-hmm. she says. So, but before we get into exactly what she said, though, um, the uh, the Tyrion chapter and and sort of where I was making the comparison to what was mentioned, uh, it says. A frightening old crone, supposed to be a priestess, uh, Magi, they called her. No one could pronounce her real name. Half of Lannisport used to go to her for cures and love potions and the like. She's long dead, to be sure. <laughs> to be um, sure. So, <laughs> to be sure. Of course. There's someone who, you know, is her doppelganger that's, that's walking around on High Heart, uh, this evening and she's meeting with the Brotherhood Without Banners and, um, she does have some very, very interesting things. To what say. a cool group of guys that this is who they're meeting, right? It's just like traveling, rolling with Arya Stark and Robert's bastard. I dreamt I saw a shadow with a burning heart butchering a golden stag. Aye. Well, we already know what that is, right? Mm. <laughs> a shadow? I wonder. Poor Renly. I dreamt of a man without a face, waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from his wings. What did you guys think of this one? Uh, this one was the most vague to me. Man without a face, a bridge that swayed and swung. I'm thinking, I mean, a man without a face, yeah, that can mean I'm a thinking, lot of things. Don't mm-hmm. they? Oh, yeah, it could be like, because there is a faceless assassin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's I feel like it's Rob Stark because they cut his head off. Mm-hmm. Faceless is different from headless. Yeah, faceless. <laughs> I'd like to say easy answer that it has something to do with um, the faceless assassins and maybe even like a Bravosian storyline. And like maybe maybe this is something that is much further on. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow with a seaweed hanging from his wing. So uh, maybe yeah, like who's who's a drowned crow? The drowning thing says like Ironborn, but crow says Night's Watch. So mm-hmm. it's like I don't think the Greyjoys are fighting. But does crow mean yet? Night's Watch? Because Darkwing's Dark Words is kind of a universal thing, and the Three Eyed Raven. Is kind of a its own thing. It doesn't, you know. It's just I don't know. It's it's so. I bet you guys know. And you're just like ha 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 ha. I don't know. Yeah, a lot of you guys are like, listening. Are like ha 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 ha. Like we know the first one is Melisandre's creature, right? And right. killing killing Renly. So like, but because that part of the dream is real, you can totally set a lot in store by what else she sees. You're just like, okay, this is going to come into play if it if it hasn't already. It is vague. I, I agree with Kate, and, and I don't even know, knowing what I know, that I could put a finger on it definitively. I mean, I have um, some thoughts about parts of it, but I don't, I don't know that I could get it 100% right. Yeah, same here. I'm not... There's There was something someone said on Twitter earlier this week. They're like, Kate, I love how the Sullied always like to mislead the Unsullied on the show. And I'm like... I'm just, I either have a bad memory or I'm like genuinely, I just, I'm not trying to mislead you ever. That's all Micah. Micah does that right. shit. No, that's Micah my, does that's it enough totally for all me. of us. I dreamt of a roaring river and a woman that was a fish. Mm-hmm. Dead she drifted with red tears on her cheeks, but when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. Ariel, Little Mermaid. Obviously. Mm, definitely. That's a, that's a sullied one. Um, that is a very sullied. Dead she drifted with red tears on her cheeks. 
You'll get there. You'll get there. Well, the fish, the Fisher House Tully, we know of only one woman who's in House Tully at this point. She's like the only woman in all of Riverrun. You know, it could be describing the aftermath of the Red Wedding when she's got red tears on her cheeks, like is mm-hmm. like from the blood. Red Wedding foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. This middle one bothers me. Like the middle one, I don't have any. I Like Drowned Crow, I'm like, again, Ironborn yeah. versus the yeah. Night's Watch. When is that ever going to happen? Maybe Theon takes the black. <laughs> I mean, he has, <laughs> really, that's where he <laughs> should. He's like no other option. I wonder what the state of stem cell research is in the... Uh, I would 70s. say it's low. <laughs> Although, Maester Balabar is working on the mountain, so we'll see. Oh, that's true. All this I dreamt and more. Do you have gifts for me to pay for my dreams? Which I love. She, knows, money. she knows what her shit's worth. Exactly. She's, she's, she's got a value on it. She. I'll, this is the first that. thing, though, that connects, for me anyway, in the books, that connects the Children of the Forest to the Green Sight. Because she has had this dream at this place, which is this old Children of the Forest place. And she has these green dreams here, or like this foreshadowing dream. Like considering that they're connected in the books and it's like supposed to be the source of all the powers, like where these children of the forest are. Uh, I think it was really important to mention that in the books, this is like the first time I've ever seen those two connected. Well, also, she's really good at doing live future tellings. Lem is like, what good are dreams? He's basically saying, I'm, I don't know if I have any gifts for you because you're just talking about dreams. He's like, I had a dream myself last night. I was kissing this tavern wench I used to know. Are you going to pay me for that old woman? She's like, the wench is dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, just to let let's you know. put you in your place. Oh, Tom. Tom Seven Sons. Just uh, working the countryside one day at a time. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then they show up at Lady Smallwood's house, and I mean we can get into owns later, but I'll go ahead and I don't mind telling you, my own for this chapter goes to Lady Smallwood. Yeah, because she's, she's, she's pretty cool. She's like just a straight up nice ass person. She could be yeah. a total weirdo or like playing the game politically. She doesn't try to find out who Arya is. She's like, I know that you're highborn, and that's probably really bad news for you. So you can wear my kids' clothes because yeah. I really miss my kids. Like, how sweet. Thank you. Thank you for being like the most reasonably kind person that Arya will probably ever meet for the rest of her life. Aww. Lady Small One was nice. You know, she she's was. asking Arya what kind of hobbies she liked. And Arya yeah. is just, I love Arya Stark right now. She's like, oh, needlework. She's like, oh, yeah. you, you really like needlework? She's like, is it restful? She's like, well, well not, not the way, way I, I do it. it. <laughs> not the way I do it. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, though, Kate, because later on, towards the very end of the chapter, Arya and Gendry had just been fighting. And um, you know, Harwin says, Arya did start it. I have no doubt. She was much the same at Winterfell. And the next person who speaks is Lady Smallwood. So I wonder if she does know who Arya really mm. is. Yeah, she might have found it out. She, she When she's first getting her dressed, like scrubbing her for the first time, um, she's like, she's just like, you're just, you're just highborn. And that's, that's not great for you. Sorry about that. Um, but it doesn't seem like this is the kind of information that she's going to use against anybody. The other reason I like Lady Smallwood is even though she's very kind and she's, she's like this generous person, there's obvious like a sexual history between her and Tom Seven Streams. <laughs> and, and he's like, she, she like gives him shit about singing some song. He's like, I've sung it before for somebody in this room and she didn't have much of a problem. She with liked it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and she's like, whatever. Like, I love, I love that she's this like highborn woman who's being generous and letting these ruffians, uh, use her, her keep to stay safe. And she's like, yeah, whatever. We fucked. It doesn't actually matter. Just like, can you please focus for five seconds? She's like, I got tan CT on the ready. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I just, I like she can keep up with these guys. But what, what prefaced the fight with Arya and Gendry? Because obviously they're all in this hall together after she's been bathed and sort of clothed and, um, what ladies would actually wear. 
they start talking about the Kingslayer and about how um, a bunch of Northmen had come to the walls of her hall and sort of demanded, uh, do you have Jamie in there? And she's like, yeah, I've got him naked in my bed. And he's way too exhausted yes. to come downstairs. So <laughs> I warm out. So, yeah, so the Kingslayer they, is busy. She, tells, she says that they didn't like that answer. So they just like shot, up, shot at him until they ran away. She's just, she's kind of a, she's kind of a badass. She's like in this book for five and a half seconds, but I love her. She's excellent. What's interesting about that though is of course that uh, Arya finds out that they're Karstark men who are mm-hmm. looking for Jamie, And we know that um, despite what she may think that they were Rob's sworn bannermen, we know better than that from what just happened a few chapters ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were out looking for Jamie for- Rickard Karstark's maiden and uh, marry up, essentially. That was the prize. <laughs> They're all on a hunt. I assume those men may have left before Rickard Karstark got uh, executed. But this is where they start talking about how Jamie actually got free. And this is when Arya's ears perk up because the rumor is that Lady Catelyn- set Jamie free and everyone there is just like no way Tom breaks a string mm-hmm. and you strings are hard to find all right when you're traveling the countryside mm-hmm. and that's when he tells Arya to leave so I'm wondering if uh, well, well Harwin tells Arya to leave and I'm wondering if maybe this is the moment where Lady Smallwood kind of put two and two together and when she was out at the smithy with Gendry like maybe they were like yeah well she probably shouldn't sit here because that's her mom and so that might be why they were okay with talking about it once she returned. This is the chapter yeah. where I start shipping Arya and Gendry super hard because, mm-hmm. like, because they were almost boning down. They were like, oh. I mean, she is she is ten years old. She's ten. ten. Like, where they're not they're not boning down. But it is this like super cute. Like, we're still these kids, and we're gonna do some wrestling. And Gendry obviously cares about her a lot, and he's teasing her. She's like, oh, you look like a real lady. She's like, shut up. She's like, mm, you even smell good. And she's like, ah. <laughs> Boys are gross, and then they start fighting. Right. But I'm just like, there's definitely the way that that fight is written. I'm like, I think that somebody's got a little crush on somebody else here. Oh. Well, see, I was gonna say it, it was almost like a John Arya moment. Part of it, mm. the way that they were just you know messing around with each other. It, it, it was brotherly, you know, brother and sister kind of going at each yeah, other. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely, but that's why I say this is where I start shipping them because. Okay. I'm just like, maybe when she's older, like, 11. what if she she goes off and does all of her crazy stuff and she comes back and she finds Gendry and they, like, get married and it's like- They'll probably still be rowing that Robert would be so happy. Yeah, right? Can I just ask, though, how awesome was this part of the chapter where Gendry starts talking about Thoros and, yeah. and and how he came in and, you know, the, basically- Gendry had to work on all these different swords because Thoros kept setting his on fire. (laughs) I mean, it worked. My master got so mad at him. Not that we haven't heard this before, but Thoros and King Robert were like best buds. And they used to go out drinking on the town with each other, getting shit faced. (laughs) Drinking contests. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of shit that's just so awesome. Going back to your point at the very beginning, we started talking about this about like how just free flowing and so much of a change it is from the other chapters that we've read and you just get this awesome backstory like Thoros and King Robert they used to kick it back in the day mm-hmm. not even back in the day like not too long ago a couple books ago yeah. yeah so I mean I just like that it's the differences of people I mean we we enter the world of Tyrion and the, and the like and in a lot of cases these are highborn people with privilege and money and they want for nothing 
Uh, and you've got Lysa, who is essentially the same things going on with her. Yet she has so many problems in her life, and it just goes to show, like, no matter how successful or wealthy someone can be, like, it really is truly an intrinsic state that you that you live in. And these people are rebels; they're on the run, you know, constantly dealing with death and destruction, uh, dealing with the constant threat of people like the Brave Companions coming upon them. And still, you know, they're they're having better nights than any of the other people in the story. Mm-hmm. They're hanging out with Lady Smallwood, talking about the Kingslayer being exhausted in the bed. You know, like Arya's taking a bath. You got Gendry, and they're like playing outside, and they're they're singing songs and they're drinking ale. It's just it's it's just a difference of the kind of people they are. Like they don't need the all of the riches and the halls and the the power to be happy. Like they're just happy being uh, with each other and doing what makes them feel good. So I think that's why it, it, it makes us feel good from reading it because. We're, we're experiencing people that are truly content versus people that are just trying to get more. And the fact that the two of them can just fight with each other, Gendry and Arya, and, and nothing serious comes of it, right? It's just, it's just fun at the end of the day, right? They come back and Harwin starts laughing up a storm because he looks at them. And it's like two kids who were out in the backyard. They were messing around and they got dirt all over them. And it just, it takes it down a notch from what we're so used to reading. And, you know, Lady Smallwood is just this great person. Even at the end of the chapter, when when she she initially gives her gives Arya, you know, her daughter's clothing, but then at the very, I think it says something that she gets her son's clothing mm-hmm. at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know Arya to be this tomboy type character, but there's this really great moment at the end of the chapter between her and and Lady Smallwood, and you know, we learn that Lady Smallwood's son had died. Yeah, and and Arya says that she's sorry, and that she saw, and she's even more sorry that she tore the the acorn dress that she was um, wearing when she she fought with Gendry, and she and she says something that's very un Arya like, and said in saying that the dress was pretty, and and Lady Smallwood responds by saying, "Yes, child, and so are you. Mm. Be brave." And, and and that to me that there's that moment that I think that Lady Smallwood knows there's there's more to Arya than meets the eye. Maybe she doesn't know exactly who she is, but um, I think there's there's just tr- that true caring about a child who is in the midst of this war that's going on and wanting her to be safe. Yeah. Uplifting. Be brave, yeah. Arya. Be brave. So uh, I, I wish to the rest of you, uh, be brave in your owns. My Jamie own. Like, I feel like the obvious choice is to give it to Brienne because <laughs> she does, she does, she like, she rocks it. She rocks the whole chapter. She rocks but it. But I never do this. This is very out of character for me. But I think, I think I'm going to give the own to Urswick uh. because of the way he's like, Jamie's like, rides up next to him. He's like, hey, man, listen, I bet, <laughs> I bet we could get you like a castle. When, when, what doesn't that sound nice? And the guy's like, he's like thinking about it, you know, for just yeah, a second. He's I like, Lord Urswick has a nice ring to it. My wife would have liked it, but it's too bad I killed her. Yep. And Jamie's like, yeah, and some gold. We could get you some good lands. And then Urswick just backhands him and doesn't even care. They're just riding. There's two men riding alongside each other on horses. And he like, takes his hand off the reins and just slaps the dude to his left carelessly. And that's when Jamie starts to be afraid because he's like, this guy's 
this guy does not care about who I am. I have no power here. He's like King Theoden when he's still possessed by Saruman. And he like starts laughing. He's like, you have no power here. That's It's super scary. So Urswick kind of gets my badass own. Wow. Wow. Own to Urswick. Urswick. I'm going to make mine easy. It goes to the Iraq. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I have an object. Wouldn't be a complete episode without one. <laughs> I'm going to give my own to the fat Dothraki man for consuming so much stuff that he has a non-toned physique like all the other Dothraki that I've seen. Uh, all, you know, fair enough. You know fair what I'm enough. saying? Like he's been traveling the countryside and still found a way to engorge himself on the spoils of war. So good for you, buddy. You got across the narrow sea. And now you're just living it up in like the non-desert lands. Good for you. Uh, My own for Jamie chapter. Uh, You guys know I have a rule. I bring this up. I don't usually give owns to the point of view characters. I'm breaking that rule. Again. Wait, what do you mean again? (laughs) I'm pretty sure you've done this like in the last three or four weeks. He's been telling us every episode now. I feel like, Uh, yeah, it's always like, here's my rule. But but, for the seven millionth time. Okay, for the seven, you want to hear why? It's more of a theory than a rule at this point. Jay, it's a theory, it's a <laughs> preference. Okay, it's a preference. We're going to change it. From now on, it's going to be a preference. I think it's a little easy to give the point of view character an own because <laughs> you you're inside You can't take this head. back, Eric. All right, well, I'm going to voice my preference as often as I've been voicing the rule. But now <laughs> I won't feel so bad that. for breaking it. Look, Jamie Lannister has a list of all of the people that he knows that are stronger than him. And that is why I'm giving him a known. Here's a quote from the book. His longsword grew heavier with every blow, and Jamie knew he was not swinging it as quickly as he'd done earlier, nor raising it as high. Interior voice. She is stronger than I am. Book dialogue, or book, uh, book description. The realization chilled him. Robert had been stronger than him, to be sure. The white bull, Gerald Hightower, as well, in his heyday. And Sir Arthur Dane. Amongst the living, Great John Umber was stronger. Strong boar of Craycall, most likely. Both Cleganes, for a certainty. The mountain strength was nothing like human. Da, 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 da. And then he says, but not this woman. She's stronger than me. So just in general, if he were fighting, say, a masked man, and he didn't know who it was, but that person was stronger than him, like he can rule people out. Like he can, he can identify a swordsman by their speed. And I just think that's a really awesome trait to have. Yeah. Hmm. Before you get into a fight, too, you should always know who can kick your ass. Like... It'll help you avoid losing battles. And I think it's a great tactic for Jamie to have. So that impressed me the most, is to basically know which guys in all of the Seven Kingdoms are stronger than you. What about Arya? Very nice. Uh, the old woman, I think that much is obvious. Her connection <laughs> to the high, the high heart interests me. And <laughs> I think she's pretty cool. All right. Not too bad. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to give mine to Arya. So I'm going to use Eric's rule. Mm, preference. Just created. Preference. He's, he's preference. changed it. Eric's preference. <laughs> Remember the stay um, in history, listeners. Where Lady Smallwood says to her, are you fond of dancing, child? My Carolyn's a lovely dancer. She sings beautifully as well. What do you like to do? Arya scuffed a toe amongst the rushes. Needlework. Very restful, isn't it? Well, said Arya, not the way I do it. Uh, <laughs> Only yeah. people who know what she calls her sword would laugh. Yeah. No. Well, we all know about people that name their swords. <laughs> They're cunts. Right? Do you give yeah. an own to the treetop city with rope ladders that descend on the right horn blow? Like, that's pretty mm-hmm. darn cool, the village in the trees. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Do you that give it to cool. 
Lem and Guy and Tom and their fun conversations about the floppy fish. <laughs> and so I've rolled these out in my mind. This is probably the hardest thing that I've had to do for the entire episode. But I, my own certainly has to go to Thoris of Mir for uh, being a red priest and his history with Robert Baratheon just at one point living it up. But uh, more importantly, for what he did uh, in this chapter, which was just a, a rumor, but he was essentially leading a herd of sheep along with their uh, party. They're, 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 you know, it's the wars going on and he's herding sheep and he's like, oh, I'm a priest, so I definitely know how to tend a flock. And he gives a few to Lady Smallwood, and uh, they're eating some of it right there. So just the picture of Thoros of Mir, Beric Dondarrion, and some of the cooler guys, like the, the head dudes of the Brotherhood Without Banners, herding sheep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. For this next segment, we find ourselves Kateless Nicely done. in Seattle. W -w 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 Welcome. We're going to do owns. <clears throat> okay. On Twitter, Jared Kozal. <laughs> Mr. Jared Kozal. Send us an own and says, for Jamie 3, own goes to Sir Cleos's skull. Ouch. Turns out it wasn't as thick as Jamie thought it was. A teachable <laughs> moment. Hashtag <laughs> wearable. Hmm. So that's a helmet PSA for you. And, uh, that's Jared's good safety. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm really surprised that in, in all of the chapters that we've read so far that nobody rides on top of a horse with, with proper safety. Uh, Gear, not but, quite a helm or half helm, but like imagine just a bell, just what you could pick up at Walmart. How cool would that uh, be? This is taking a turn for the worst. Like. Jared Kozal, uh, same dude, uh, is our own. His own goes to the growing legend of Beric Dundarian. Reports of his death have been greatly exaggerated. Or have they? Mm. Carry on, Beric Dundarian. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Carry on. Our wayward son. If you're familiar with what we're reading, which is owns via Twitter, you may be familiar with our Twitter account. If you are familiar with our Twitter account, this week you may have been familiar with the fact that we tweeted, uh, come on the show. We're going to call in, uh, just like we did one time before, and you guys seemed to really like it. Well, guess what? We're about to add someone to the call right now. You ready, fellas? Yeah. Not really, but that's all right. Hello? Hello, who is this? This is Ash. <laughs> hey, Ash. Hey, guys. Welcome to Game of Owns. Kate's not here. <gasps> Boo. Right. She's so disappointed now. She's she's going to hang up on us. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling us. We were wondering, Ash, who we, we assume you listen to our show, uh, if you would assist us in a segment that we do normally toward the latter pieces of the show, which is reading listener owns. I would love to. All right, some downtime. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm actually rewatching season one right now. Ooh. What episode are you watching? Um, I am on the pointy end, as we all know, ends very well. Oh, very punny. Mike is here too. He's just too bashful to say hello. <laughs> Mike is like this around around new girls. He is. He'll think. Also, Eric is a terrible wingman. Let me just add that in. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> horrible at it. <laughs> Ash, are you read along with Game of Bones? Are you reading along with us? I am indeed. Wait, we're probably going to read one of her goddamn tweets. Yep, the lady Ash. There it is. Next one we got here was from our our good friend uh, Simon Amundsen, uh, who looks a little bit like Eric's doppelganger in his. Uh, Better looking, though. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> it's the shades, people. It's the shades. If I had sunglasses like that, man. Yeah, that's true. The world would be my oyster. <laughs> he says, uh, own to the BCs, I guess the uh, brave companions, mm -hmm. oh. for being such well-spoken gentlemen and being so very chivalrous towards <laughs> Jamie and Brienne. Mm -hmm. Hashtag Urswick insolent lazy slap. We got actually a compliment from our good buddy Simon Amundsen. Or Amundsen. He says, Zach's impression of Picel <laughs> is too good. 
gotta stop studying and it's an old man whose balls touch the floor. <laughs> you found my secret. <laughs> my lord. Uh, <laughs> tweet from Ram Dent who says, Own to Arya's frequent usage of the word stupid. Quote, he tried to tickle her under the chin, but Arya slapped his stupid hand away. Yeah. <laughs> Just Tristan Lonnie was um, good to point out in replying to Ram that, yep, George definitely knows how to take you directly into a character's head. Arya uses <laughs> stupid, the hound, bloody. Nicole writes in, she says, Lady Smallwood is both kind-hearted and a woman who isn't impressed with Tom's rhyming abilities. I just, I disagree, Nicole. I think she's very impressed by Tom's rhyming abilities. She, then she goes on to say, give me the sword. Oh, I will. Double entendre, much wiggles eyebrows. Jamie is having the time of his life teasing poor Brienne. We're going to kick it to Ash now. Ron writes in to say, in the Jamie chapter, my own goes to Brienne for fighting like such a bad. She gets Jamie to yield and admit to himself that she's stronger than he is. And in the Arya chapter, Big owns Lady Smallwood, who manages to get Arya to wear two dresses, not one, but two, take two baths, and jokes about boning down with the Kingslayer. Awesome. Here's another spelling error from Ram Dent. Jamie owned ukulele. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Do you take me for a turn cloak? Certainly. What else? <laughs> <laughs> Nicole writes in. She says, I don't know if it was autocorrect or not, but I doubt Urslick would like being called a ukulele. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Danny, uh, the D-man on Twitter says, for the Arya chapter goes to the old woman who recalled Renly's death and foreshadowed a few others. She deserves yeah. it. And for Brienne, because her honor and naivete in this chapter reminded me of Ned a little bit. Look mm. at that. Interesting. We also got uh, a few owns here from somebody named the Lady Ash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> super cool. Like that that we were able because we put it out on Twitter. But such a such a active member of the community was able to hop in on the call. Very cool. Well, you know, when you're an active member, you're stalking Twitter like nobody's business while watching Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I liked your own for the Arya chapter in particular because we were actually talking about um, earlier on in the show how this particular chapter itself is kind of a, a nice break from everything else that's going on in the series. So this this very sophisticated individual, the Lady Ash, had the following <laughs> to say about the Arya chapter, as we just mentioned. Uh, Arya and Gendry own the series with an innocent free moment of play in the smithy, or smithy. Uh, smithy? <laughs> war is hard, but people still need to live. People do still need to live. For the Jamie chapter, own goes to Brienne for her honor. Jamie may try to play the game to survive, but Brienne would rather face her demise than bend. Ukulele! <laughs> Our favorite person in the whole universe, Jeff Lightfoot, the social studies department chair from Illinois, if I'm correct, writes in and says, Saw this while listening to the Goo podcast. I hear the wildling sauce is amazing. And it's a picture of Gilly's Barbecue on a <gasps> Gilly's Barbecue! So, yes. Yeah, I hear the wildling sauce is wonderful, Jeff. I hope that you got second and third helpings. Uh, yes, see the photo on our Twitter. <laughs> Olson Doyle over on Twitter says, My own for Jamie 3 goes to the chapter itself for probably being my favorite one so far. All caps. It was so good. You see a little helpful arrow he did, Eric, to link you to his next <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hyphen, except hyphen, hyphen, uh, hyphen Twitter delineates backwards. So he's actually <laughs> leading into somebody else's. Uh, but anyway, Olson Doyle, my own for Arya, uh, insert number here. I believe it was 
three, uh, goes to the Brotherhood Without Banners for being so much better in the book than in the show. What do you think, Ash? Uh, yes, definitely. Well, I mean, is anybody going to argue that the show is better than the book? Certain mm-hmm. places, maybe. But what a perfect opportunity to say, hey, Ash, read another own for us. Uh, this own comes from Shelly Bagchi. For Jamie 3, I have to give it to Jamie for coming up with the story about the Sapphire Isles and saving Brienne from being raped. He does care. <laughs> we heard from Brienne of Tarth. We did? We did. Which always makes it a great day, in my opinion, anyway. I agree. Because she wanted to play games with us. She said, time to play What If with Game of Owns. <laughs> what if Tywin had been successful in marrying Cersei to Balin and or Theon? Hashtag discuss hmm yeah. ghost snow says balon and theon mysteriously end up dead with jamie size stab wounds tywin crushes iron backlash <laughs> <laughs> jamie size stab wounds hmm. brienne says i just want a lannister reaction to pike this entire place smells like a privy that was a terrible brienne <laughs> and uh tracy murray pointed out theon would still be just as castrated yeah, oh, well, Eric. it's it's actually like that's a big deal. You're if you're unable to consummate the marriage, right? Everybody talks about it. Every wedding has a bedding. That's true, but it's a big deal. I guess the whole reason people get married is to, you know, continue continue a line. We did get some love from at Black Eyed Lily, our friend Susan Stacy on Twitter, who said, "I love your unabashed enthusiasm over the chapters you're reading in this week's podcast." Thank you. I feel like that's good editing. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> that cuts out the normal five minutes where we're like these chapters suck thanks to uh, everyone who sent in their owns on twitter and facebook and uh, now we turn to the longer formatted means of sending us your owns which is email though i guess technically right you could have it shorter than 140 characters i like to keep my emails under 40 <laughs> characters if i can. yes it's true your uh, your email carrier would be very upset with you though that he had to go all, all right. around in the snow carrying your letter <laughs> when you could have just tweeted it when you could have just yeah. <laughs> but anyway ash why don't you uh, do us the honors of reading the first email all right our first email comes from nicholas who says, My own for Jamie goes to Brienne for truly earning Jamie's respect the only way she can, through prowess and combat. Putting her strength in the same thought as people like Great John or the Cleganes is both humbling and affecting. Yeah. <laughs> She's so cool. That, that was me, nothing enough. The fight is what really cements their relationship moving forward. For Arya, my own goes to Lady Smallwood for both standing to ground no matter who knock on the door and for making Arya wear one last fancy dress. Except the Mordains would be proud. Nick Hartley does not so. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is like a typical email signature, like this actual established email signature, right? Yeah, every time he writes in, Nick Hartley does, does not so. Keep it up, That Nick. was awesome. Completely agree there. And I well guess done. I didn't realize when I was reading it that that will, in fact, be Arya's like, last dress ever. It's all, tr- it's all trousers from here on <laughs> Nothing out. Nothing but trousers and leather jerkins for me, boys. Uh, here's an email. It's from Tim. Timothy Mulligan. He says, My own for the next Aria chapter goes to GRM's epic foreshadowing. The Unsullied should write down the ghosts of High Heart's dreams and keep them in mind while watching the next season of Game of Thrones or while reading the next book since the story is so different now. And I don't know if all these things will still happen in the show. Neither do we, Tim. <laughs> and the final email comes from Erica who says... For the Jamie chapter, my own goes to Brienne of Tarth, of course. 
Of course. Of course. Of I mean, course. Who else of would course. you give it to? It's a I mean, it's course. Brienne. I gave her my own for giving Jamie a run for his money during the sword fight. I believe she now has a little more respect from him because of it. For the Arya chapter, the Lady of the Leaves got my own because she lives in the most badass tree house yes. tree community ever. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to go live there? Stay awesome, Erica. You stay awesome. That was good on that. Like a whole situation reminds me of. Do you guys ever play Mist? The, t- yep. the tree, yeah. like the tree community in Mist. Oh, yeah. Like you have to take the the lever and the pulley and the elevator up and the. It's, I've always wanted to, or like in Kashyyyk. It reminds me of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you would like to contact us, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The way mm-hmm. Tim, Nick, and Erica did, you can just uh, type into your email to field contact at gameofowns.com. <laughs> the to field. Not the from field. That That's from no. you guys. And plus, it'd be weird to see us getting emails from ourselves. I do yes, that sometimes. Which does happen. Just to keep these guys on their feet. Thank you for coming and for listening and for being so nice and for staying in touch with us and all the people that listen to our show. I mean, what can we what can we say? We don't have any golds or gemstones to give you, so we'll just keep making the show. And I'm calling you on Patreon, so hey! <laughs> hey! Did you like Chapter 2? I did. Um, the images on the screen really caught me off guard because I was doing dishes. And I like looked over and I'm like, did yellow leather just flash across the screen? <laughs> wow. And then it, there it was. And it was pretty awesome. My favorite, I think I just really started cracking up when you did the beer. <laughs> well, we hope that you enjoyed Eric's beer review. And when you leave us tonight, we hope that you watch it on repeat for like the next six Thank seasons. you, Ash, for all of your support and supporting us over on Patreon. Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you guys for just doing your thing. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> and until next time, my, my new friend, au revoir. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. All right, bye, guys. See Thank ya. you. That was fun. That was fun. Well, I guess this is a really convenient way for us to say visit patreon.com slash goo because of what she You've said. You've heard another happy, That's satisfied what she person. Said. Well, one other way that you can get in touch with the show is on iTunes, and uh, it is the month of November, so nothing less than five stars is. is acceptable. We just ask that you head on over to iTunes and leave a nice rate and review, five stars, as was just mentioned. And uh, we do have one here that I'd like to read. There are quite a few here, actually, but uh, from uh, Seth Knight, GOT fan. Really enjoy the chapter-by-chapter review of the Game of Thrones books. I've read the books before, but I'm reading them again and getting more out of them with the podcast. I would recommend this podcast to any Game of Thrones fans. Also, if you've been keeping tabs on what we've been up to this week, you may have noticed on our Facebook and Instagram pages that a classic caption contest has been resurrected from the ashes and uh, exists now in the real world. It was Anguy and Arya, and let's just say that some of your replies and responses were pretty darn hilarious. <laughs> in this photo, Anguy is leaning in. Arya's got a bow, and she's not afraid to use it. But it's just kind of down by her side, and they're outdoors. What is Angai saying to her? How is she taking the news? You guys wrote in with your submissions, and here we go. Game of Owns submitted one. <laughs> that was me. <amazing. laughs> I think it's got the most likes out of any of these. If it ain't, yeah, so you've got to go. Uh, the caption unfair. is, quote, I totally ship you and Gendry. End yeah, quote. Okay. Bad. Nathan Schreiber submitted, quote, I don't know where Lady Stoneheart is either. Me either. Mm, I don't even know who that is. Marianne Schwellinger says, <laughs> that's my favorite, quote, 
Great. You just shot Bambi's mother. Now we'll have to put up with a baby deer following us, crying, Mother! Wow. Still never seen it. Sad, sad, sad. Zach Schaff. This is a quote for Angai. It's one word. Moist. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to everyone listening that hates that word. (laughs) A lot of people dislike that word. I know. I love moist Uh, cake. This is a great, a solid entry by Jeff Lightfoot. Uh, this is Angai giving Arya some arrow advice. Shoot the pointy end into the target. Yeah. Shoot him with the pointy end. See, he's teaching, he's still even teaching now. Even in his caption contest quote, he's teaching Arya. That's true. Shoot. A teacher does not teacher fall far from the Facebook posts of the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, Murfman on Instagram says, Tywin Lannister isn't the only one who shits gold, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, Dang 3692 says, aim small, miss small. You see, that was good. Oh, I like that I like one. That one. And here's one that's uh, sort of like the one that I wrote, but a little bit more. Um, you decide. It says, your friend Gendry, dot, dot, dot. You hit that yet? Yeah. Wow. Mm. People just being open I about like their it. sex lives, right? You hit that? Oh, I hit that. They, are, they do have no banners. <laughs> this one's great from Jay Ponster. He says, are you going <laughs> to shoot him or not? Sometimes you just got to like, don't overthink it. Just just go for the name joke. Back on Facebook, Rashni Bambuani says, Psst, Arya, I think your breeches are unlaced. That actually is probably the most accurate. That's the the, the look on his face. Yeah, she has. was in and out of clothes a lot this chapter, so she probably just yeah. forgot to, you know, lace them up. We saved the best for last. And there's plenty more. You can read them on our Instagram and Facebook pages from El Kidder. Best for last, Hodor. Yeah. Yeah, well done, well done. There. Gosh, I see. I'm not used to having like a Trump card, like the quote Hodor, to like yeah. just play at a caption contest. In fact, that should be the new rule that that is actually banned from captions. No, no way. That's the I'm easy banning. Button. I'm banning Hodor from all <laughs> I the. I see. Game this is becoming though something fun that we can uh, we can do. Maybe not every week, but we can certainly uh, yeah you know, include in on the show. Um, I, our listeners are very creative. Um, we know that from all the owns that they send in, but they seem to be pretty good at captioning photos as well. Do do what good people do and stay in touch with us through our pages all over the internet. It's pretty much slash Game of Owns. Everywhere. Everywhere. So how do we do this? How do we end the show without Kate? I mean, uh, we've had another listener on that hopefully you guys enjoyed hearing and, and I know that we enjoyed speaking to. Like, what do we do now? We get ready because uh, we don't have too much time before we have to start reading again. We have Bran and John on the horizon, and uh, hopefully uh, they're as good at the chapters as uh, <laughs> we just read. Because quite honestly, I mean, two very different chapters, obviously, in Jamie and, and, and Arya. One was quite enjoyable, the other not so much. Um, can I just ask a question here as we wrap up the show? Can you feel sort of the, the tone of the, of the, the, yes. of the book and, and even the series really starting to change? And, and I know... We've been through a lot, obviously, um, with the Clash of Kings and, and what happened at the end of Game of Thrones, but the, the entire series as a whole now is starting to move more into that dark area. Yeah. It's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to how this book develops, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you guys. Seconded. Thirdsies. Pretty <laughs> fun. Thirdsies. <laughs> next week, and uh, to say hello in between them. We'll be around. Unless I catch the next train I like that ending.